Proverbs 13, we're going to look at a certain text here in this amazing book in a moment that in its brevity and in its simplicity remains one of the single greatest admonitions in all of the Bible. And we say that because, folks, if you go through the scriptures, all of the narratives, all of the commands, all the admonitions from Genesis to Revelation, it is the singular truth of this text that is most present over and over and over again. In fact, nearly all of the chapters and all of the books about the nation of Israel, virtually all of the Old Testament, is basically one illustration after another of tonight's text. Israel with Egypt, Jehoshaphat with Ahab, Samson with Delilah, Lot with Sodom, God's people, well, just choose your poison, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Termites, all of them are there. Asa and Ben-Hadad, Zedekiah and Pharaoh. I mean, obviously the list of God's illustrations where associations cause destruction is almost endless in the Bible. So that tonight's text is one of those I trust we will always, always remember and take to heart the rest of our lives. Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. By the way, you know what that is, right? That is an encouragement. That's a blessing. That is a powerful, wonderful promise, positive promise for anybody who wants to be wise. Wisdom, God says, is actually contagious. The word walketh speaks about a journey. So that you see, this is a companionship he's talking about, which makes sense because the rest of the verse speaks of companions as well. Look at verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So not only is wisdom contagious, but so are fools. I mean, if you really want to continue wearing a mask, wear a mask around fools because they're more destructive than COVID or leprosy ever was. Verse 15, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Boy, is it ever hard. Hard ache, hard time, hardship, hard hearted. It is all pain and without profit. Which brings us then to this. Of all of the examples and all of the Bible of what Proverbs 13.20 teaches, I'm not sure of any that is any better than the one that we noted concerning Jehoshaphat with either Ahab or Jehoram. 2 Kings chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me, would you? 2 Kings chapter number 3. This will be our illustration for our text tonight. And you'll notice it begins for us in verse 14. 2 Kings 3, verse 14 says, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. Now, folks, three men are noted in this text. There is Ahab, there's Jehoshaphat, and there is Jehoram, who's the object of Elisha's scorn. Were it not for Jehoshaphat, Elisha said, I wouldn't even look at you, I wouldn't look toward thee. And again, the thee is Jehoram, the ruler of Israel. 
So you have three different men all put into this one chapter concerning one very important event which teaches us this priceless spiritual truth about the power of influence. Some of you may recall many years ago a book called Life is Tremendous. Life is Tremendous by Charlie Jones, one of the biggest best-selling books of all time. The most famous line, which is the theme of that book, is found in the very first words of that book where he said, you will be the same person you are five years from now except for two things. The books you read and the people that you embrace. Well, the second part of that equation is something that our God is the supreme expert on and for which he has very much to say. And that is the people that you embrace. The power of influence with friends and associates, virtually every problem that Israel's kings ever experienced were the result of disobeying God directly by associating with the wrong crowd. So there's nothing, there is nothing quite as powerful as the power of persuasion by association. And by the way, again, as our text says, that goes both ways. It's not only for bad, also for good. Iron sharpens iron. And yes, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. So many times through the years I've said to our young people, I've said take a long, hard look at your besties and your buddies. Take a very close note of your friends, your closest friends, because you can rest assured that wherever they are headed, that is where you're headed. And in most cases, wherever they end up, that's also where you're going to end up. It's the power of influence. And that power is frankly staggering. Many years ago, I was with Benjamin in the grocery store. He's a little boy, and all of a sudden I noticed he was putting something in the grocery cart, which he never did as a boy. So I'm curious, and I look at them, and there are these little containers of drinkable yogurt called Danimals. Danimals by Danon. And, of course, I'm curious because, I mean, why would he pick that of all things? And he said, and I, so I held one up. I said, really? Or little package? And he said, Dad, it's an irresistibly delicious breakfast experience for a smooth start to your day. <laughs> ah, you saw a commercial, did you? <laughs> he just saw a commercial. Do you remember the long lines at Popeye's drive through They had fights, fist fights. The power of influence. Just because everybody is getting a Popeye sandwich and compare it with Chick-fil-A. It was insane. I remember when everybody had a fidget spinner. Why? Why doesn't everybody have one now? I'm thankful everybody doesn't have one now. Ice bucket challenge. Dumbest thing ever. <laughs> but people did it. All over the country. I remember when young people would say, you have to do this. Girl, you have to get a Sherpa jacket. You have to get one. 90 degrees outside, but you have to get one. Have to? Who says you have to? And yet some of them had to. Influence is real. It is effective in ways that we could never imagine or appreciate. I remember years ago, Tim Bird called me up and he said, Pastor Blaylock, some of our sponsors here at Cool 105.5, <laughs> he said, they gave me access to a round of golf at Loxahatchee Club. Would you like to go? I said, Loxahatchee Club? Do one-legged duck swim in circles, Birdman? <laughs> yes, sign me up. 
So I went, and there was a golfer there that they paired us up with, taller, younger, way more fit than I was. This is about 25 years ago, and in those days, I could actually play decent golf. So I'm thinking, you know what? This will be fun. Oh, man, he was so good. Crushed every drive 300 yards, pure iron shots, put the lights out. Every single time that I thought I might have had an advantage on a hole, he, he would scramble and make a birdie or a par, and it was a little frustrating and a lot of challenging. But I grinded and I focused and I played, and in the end, I finished way behind him. <laughs> Turned out he was on the South American tour, and he was like number 10 in Argentina, so no wonder I felt so beat up and so annoyed for most of the day. On number 17 at the Loxahatchee Club, which is over on the way to Jupiter Christian, there's a little mound. That's where I buried Alejandro. Amen? He's there now. <laughs> anyway, I got in my car, and as I drove away, I noticed that he'd put a score, my, our scorecard on the windshield, underneath the windshield wiper. It was either he or the caddy. So I grabbed it, and I put it in the seat next to me, and as I drove away, I started looking at it. And you know what I noticed? Even though he schooled me really bad, it was my lowest round ever. So now I'm a happy, happy boy. <laughs> in other words, with all of the grinding and the effort and feeling defeated, what also happened is he elevated my game. And of course, that's what always happens in life. Now look, honestly, I don't strive to find guys who are professionals at golf so that I can improve. Golf is just a game, and at 65, I could really care less. I actually enjoy playing with guys like Pastor Jason and Barry who drag me down. <laughs> down, down, down. However, with important issues in life, with matters of eternity and Matters of spiritual weight, nobody, nobody who loves Jesus wants to be dragged down. Which brings us back to Jehoshaphat. Because he's the kind of man, he's the kind of fellow believer, beloved, that you admire. Read his life. He's the kind of man that I look up to and that I'd want to, that I would appreciate and want to be with. Jehoshaphat always did the right thing and with the right heart until he chose an alliance his new besties. You know, if you think about it, our lives, our hearts, our minds were actually created by God. They were designed by God so that they could be influenced. Now ponder that for a moment. In other words, it's not a question tonight of whether you're under the influence, but rather it's a question of who. It's just a matter of whether you walk with the wise or you're a companion, the Bible says, of fools. So, notice the latter with me in our first point, which is the influence of the foolish. First Kings, you're there, right? Chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat's, uh, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years, and wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, verse 7. And he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou... Go with me against Moab to battle. And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. 
Okay, so what you have here, beloved, is a pattern. Because you know something, this good man, this good man had once before gotten himself entangled into the same situation. Let me read it to you from 2 Chronicles. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Wow. Now clearly, folks, this is the wrong association. This is Jehoram, the king of Israel, a very bad king, influencing Jehoshaphat, who is a very good king. So that the king of Judah, without being patient, without waiting, without praying, without counsel, King Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with Jehoram, who was simply on a personal vendetta. And by the way, Jehoram himself, you study his life, he made some very good decisions, and he would have become a great and wonderful king had it not been for the influences of the foolish in his life. You see, folks, everybody is affected, persuaded by something. And the reason Jehoshaphat finds himself in this text, in this terrible situation, the reason that he is surrounded now and that he's engulfed by problems and dangers that were never his and were never meant to be his is that he was moved by the actions and the motives and the emotions of the persons that he was with. Look at verse 8. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom. The king of Edom? Yep. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water in the host for the cattle that followed them. This is bad. If you know the story, and I encourage you to study this week, this is really bad. The question is, how did it happen? How did godly Jehoshaphat end up with the king of Edom, who's a, who's a rank idolater? How is that even possible? It's really simple. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools, he shall be destroyed. So that now, look what you have. Now you have an idolater, a fool, and a good man all outside the will of God. All together now on a seven days journey. No water, sitting ducks for the armies of Moab. Verse 10, And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Wow. How in the world did Jehoshaphat get himself into this mess? Well, beloved, he's in the wrong place, with the wrong time, with the wrong crowd, the wrong battle, the wrong means, and the wrong motive. He's about to die now. He's about to die in shame. And you know what? He got to that place the same way that all good people end up in a bad place and outside of the will of God by simply joining hands with other people who are outside of the will of God. If you choose to fellowship with a scorner, you don't just choose to fellowship with a scorner, you choose to become a scorner. Why? Because everybody has the power of influence. Back when I used to speak in chapels, teenagers in chapels and camps and so forth, I would sometimes ask the young people a question. 
I would say, young people, I want you to think of something that you did that you regret. Just think of something, maybe recently, that you really, really regret doing. Whatever it is since uh, uh, maybe it was you since you've smoked your first cigarette or these days vape or shoplift or vandalism, whatever it is, I want you to picture in your mind whatever, something that you did that you regret. And then I would say, here's the next question. Were you with someone? And it was amazing how many times people sitting next to each other would look at each other. Were you with someone? What kind of stuff do you read? What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of media saturates your mind? What kind of people do you fellowship with and embrace the most? Because that's the kind of overpowering influence that will direct your life. I've had people on a few occasions say to me, Pastor, you don't know this. You don't understand, and I know you don't know this, but if you would fellowship more with like the LGBT folks, you would be fine. You will find out that they are. You would be way more sympathetic with them. You don't know this, but you, if you just got to know someone, you would find they're so nice, and you'd have way more sympathy. You know, I, the whole time I'm always thinking, actually, I do know that. Of course, I know that. It's in the first book of the Bible. Lot's in Sodom, and he calls the Sodomites what brethren. No, brethren, don't do this. Of course I know that. I just know that there's a reason not to do it. And that is the influence of the foolish. Number two, I want you to notice, is the influence of the faithful. Look at verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, those servants are always doing good stuff, aren't they? All through the Bible. I love them. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. In other words, hey, finally Jehoshaphat is going to put himself under the influence of somebody else who's faithful. He made a mistake. It's a big one. But he made a mistake like we all make mistakes. But at least now he wants to be sure that he's under the right influence. And for sure, Elisha is the right influence. A faithful man who, by the way, may not tell the king what he wants to hear. But he will certainly tell him what he ought to hear and therefore what he needs to hear. And of course, the great thing about faithful people is that they don't just tell you to do what's convenient and thus what's not necessarily good. They encourage you to do what's good and what's worthy. You know, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I was 15 years of age and I was very, very active in our church and youth group not unlike many of these young people here. And there was this one girl in the Sunday morning crowd that came every week, had just started coming with her parents and, and her brother. And I got to tell you, she was just plain beautiful. Unfortunately, her friends, her friend group, was, they were all pretty wild. And this girl, Jackie's her name, she started paying me some attention because I started paying her some attention. And within a couple months, we were 
we were this close. In those days, they would call it, you're an item. They were this close to being an item. I hadn't noticed it, but during that whole time, her and I, I noticed my, I wasn't noticing it, my spirit was starting to change a little bit. I was a little more cynical, just a little more negative, a little more sullen. One night, I was sitting in a pew, Bible Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I was looking at some photos, black and white photos. There was a man in our church who was a photographer, and he took photos. We couldn't you know, swipe right in those days. He actually took photos, had them developed, and brought them to us of her and I that he had taken of us sitting together and talking in church. And about that time, a godly old man came up to me, and he sat next to me. I was sitting there by myself. Always an encouragement, but this time... This man looked at me, and with that North Carolina accent, he said, Jimmy, I just want you to know I've been praying for you, and you keep walking down this path you're on, you're going to be dry as cracker juice. <laughs> no. Spencer, what would you do? Well, I got mad. I mean, my eyes rolled all the way to the back of my head. Dry as cracker juice? What kind of podunk Mayberry Barney Five saying is that? But you know something, he was right. Spiritually, he was right. And when I laid my head on my pillow at night, I knew he was right. And for 50 years now, I'm thankful, and I have been thankful, that that man cared enough to tell me. He didn't do it in pride. He didn't do it in malice or vindictiveness. The truth is, he had long earned the right to do it with all of those years of investment and love in me as a bus kid. And so the influence of the faithful were a tremendous blessing in my life. You see, folks, in part, that's why God commands us to come to church. You know, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You don't come to church to get brownie points or to get a badge, get some kind of award. You're simply putting yourself under the influence of the faithful. That's why God commands it. And it brings us to the third and really the most important lesson of all. And that is, of course, the influence of the Father. Look at verse 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. And then he says this. But now bring me a minstrel. A musician, and it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. It came on Elisha. Now, wait a minute. The influence of the foolish is illustrated with King Jehoram to Jehoshaphat. The influence of the faithful is illustrated with Elisha to King Jehoshaphat. But here, beloved, you have the influence of God to his servant Elisha. The direct spiritual influence that every single one of us have a right to, a birthright to, and need to have as we preach this morning every single day. Why? Go back to verse 15. But now bring me a minstrel, Elisha said, and it came to pass that the minstrel played, as he played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Can I ask you a question? Why did Elisha want some music? Why did he ask for a musician to come and play at this point? What's the meaning of that? Well, it's kind of simple. In verse 14, Elisha is not in a very good mood at all. 
In fact, it's obvious that the sight of these three kings have pretty much soured his spirit, kind of like when you watch MSNBC. Amen? You've got to get away from that stuff. Verse 13, And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? This guy was a rude preacher. Amen? What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. So they're just afraid. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat. There's nothing about this alliance that's making this prophet very happy. You can see this. A, you have Jehoram leading Israel astray. B, you have the king of Edom, an idolater with his rabble. And C, you have Jehoshaphat, who should have known better than to compromise with any of these people. So he's irritated. He's bothered. He's disappointed with Jehoshaphat and really disgusted with the rest of them. Let's just say he's not in the right frame of mind to receive the word of God. So that now you can kind of see what the music is for. It's pretty much the same reason we have music, godly music, like we heard a moment ago at the beginning of our church services. It is to get that grumpy, grouchy husband of yours in the right frame of mind. So here's Elisha. And the Bible says he's in a camp. This is a camp where three nations have mixed their discordant voices all together. It's noisy. It's a fearful. They're all going to die. They know it. It's a clamorous and thirsty camp because there's no water. And as we've noted, it is led by the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And folks, with all of this uproar and this confusion of all of Elijah's emotions at full, Elisha's emotions at full pitch, the prophet realizes what all of us at times must realize. He's not in the right frame of mind. How many families come to church? We're talking about influence, right? Bless their heart, they come to church. The car didn't start. They had to get a jump. The alarm went off late, so they're rushing around. The toast was burnt. The kids were fighting. Dad's a grouch. The toddler's diaper is so overloaded it's down to his knees. It's waddling like Donald Duck. They walk in exhausted for Sunday school. And someone says, come on, brother, smile. You're in church. It's the Lord's day. You don't feel like it's the Lord's day. And just like Elisha, you realize that you need something to help prepare your heart. After all, the greatest most important, best influence of all is the Word of God itself. It is God the Father through the Spirit and the Son speaking to our hearts. So verse 15 says, The hand of the Lord came upon, upon Elisha. I don't know about you, but I want the hand of God to come upon me. Every day. Every day. Beloved, our pilgrimage lies before us tonight. You're on a journey, and I'm on a journey to glory. And while the destination, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, while the destination is assured, our effectiveness and our loyalty to Jesus is not. Just because, you know, like I mentioned, the people come to me, Pastor, you don't know. If you would just do this, you would find out. You'd be more comfortable. You know, there's a line to which your decision to go your way becomes a disloyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing and the testimony of this faithfulness on a journey, of being able to say you fought a good fight, 
You kept the faith. You finished your course. That blessing and that testimony will depend in large part on who we choose to journey with us. Because he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools, that's all destruction. You young people in here, you just heard Brother Andy say last Wednesday, I think, about, you know, if you're going to date someone, business number one, or court someone, or look forward to them being business number one is, are they a child of the living God? You marry someone who is lost, and you're going to have eternal trouble with your father-in-law. They are of their father, the devil. And so the Bible speaks about an unequal yoke. But there are lots of unequal yokes. A yoke is something that you put on a beast of burden. It means you're heading the same direction, doing the same labor for the same purpose and the same master. And I would admonish all of us in this room as children of God to walk with wise men, wise women, so that you will be wise and recognize that a companion of fools will be destroyed. God's people said, heads are bowed, please. Our eyes are closed. We're going to have a hymn of invitation in a moment, as always here. It's a time for you to do business with the Lord. I had a pastor friend of mine text me not long ago, and this pastor friend has, has strayed, without question strayed. And he said to me, he said, you're probably shocked at what I believe and what I do now. And, and, I, and I texted back, I said, I'm not shocked at all because I know who you've been fellowshipping with and walking with and talking with and joining hands with. So therefore, I am not shocked that two years, three years, four years later, you're where you are. Because it's taught in the Bible. There's nothing new about this. Take a long, hard look at which direction your associations are headed, because that's where you're headed. Take a long, hard look at where they'll end up, because that's where you'll end up. That's what the Bible teaches. Pastor, I'm saved tonight. I'm a Christian, but I needed this reminder tonight as a child of God with heads bowed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands in the room and God bless you? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Wasn't it interesting what God said in Chronicles when he said, you know, you love those who hate the Lord. You know, the Bible says to love your neighbor. That's an action. But if you look at that text carefully, it's talking about their, their heart was knitted to people who hated God. There are people who hate your God, who hate your Bible, who hate your faith. You're to love them as your neighbor, but you're not to bind your soul to them because you'll become like unto them. Maybe someone here tonight is not saved. You're not born again. Not sure if you died tonight, you would go to heaven. Could we pray for you? Maybe you're watching by live stream. We'd love to pray for you. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I need to be sure. Who would say that with uplifted hands? You're not sure about your own salvation tonight. Could we pray for you? Anyone like that at all? Shall we see you? All right. We're going to pray in a moment. After we pray, we'll have a time of invitation. Brother Andy will be at the front if you need to speak with someone or just use the altar. But by all means, you know what? Either the Bible is true or it's not. Either it is your guide or it is not. Either you trust it and believe it all or you pick and choose. Tonight, let's... Let's trust it all. Let's believe all of the warnings in the book of Proverbs and all the blessings in Proverbs, like he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. 
Father, bless the invitation. Thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that our hearts will be open continually to what you've said to us and continue to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.